So we're coming to the last two messages in James. Right? It's been, if you're new or visiting this morning, we've been in a, a series in the book of James called Shoe Leather Wisdom. And uh, it has really been a, a great series. I, I just want to thank the Lord personally uh, for the inspiration and ideas that have made this series uh, such a, a wonderful series. Uh, n- many of you have emailed me, talked to me. Uh, and as a speaker, you just need to know, uh, I know the difference between my stuff and his stuff. right? And when I see it starting to pop in you, I realize I didn't do that. Okay? And so as it's connecting, um, there's just been a really special, special sense of Jesus talking to us, both individually and corporately. And... Uh, you know, through His Holy Spirit during this series. And, and I'm just really grateful and uh, kind of sad that it's going to be wrapping up here. But uh, the section we're going to work through today specifically deals with the importance of prayer. Right? And uh, we have uh, several different times over the last several years come up with this issue and, and bounced into it. And we're going to bounce into it again this morning. The entire argument, if you really want to boil it down, is going to come down to, to no matter what you face, pray about it. Right? No matter what you face, pray about it. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Uh, no matter how long it lasts, you should pray all the way through it. Right? A lot of times, you ever notice they last longer than you wanted them to? Right? Yeah. And, uh, and no matter how hard what you face is, you should pray patiently while in it. Uh, our first natural human instinct when we're in a tough situation is to get out of it, right? And uh, a wise friend once said, there's some things in life that you pick and there's other things in life that pick you. And the ones that pick you, you really don't have a choice about how you're going to get into it or out of it. They kind of run their course. And James is going to argue for when that happens, uh, we should pray patiently. Um, So... Let's uh, take a look. Take your Bibles and turn, if you would, to James chapter 5. We'll put it up here on the screen, verses 13 to 15. This will work off of this to start with. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So let's start this morning with the phrase, is any of you suffering? Right? That's how it launches and kicks out. The Expositor's Bible Commentary says, one circumstance that calls for prayer is the experience of being in trouble. Okay? Any of you relate to that, being in trouble? Let's look at that issue a little bit here. The issue of trouble. Is anyone among you suffering? Now, obviously, this is written again to a group of people that were. Right? James isn't saying, well, someday in the future, when this was a, a disposed people. They were kicked out of Jerusalem. They were scrambling. They didn't know where to land. There was a lot of stuff they were up against. And so uh, they were in a, a situation of suffering. And so James is, is kind of saying to those of you who are suffering, right? In trouble, the Greek word here, kakopathai, or kakopathias is the noun, a difficult word to pronounce, but it's used by James in a couple places. If you remember before in verse 10, last week we were talking about, and James used it this way, he says, as an example of suffering or trouble, 
That's that same word right there. And patience. Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we considered those blessed who remained steadfast. James is saying, look at the Old Testament pictures that were left for us. And the ones who followed through, the ones who finished well, we called them blessed. But it wasn't easy. Right? It took guts. It took courage. It took steadfastness. And it took perseverance. It took faith. And it took prayer. And so we're supposed to emulate that. Uh, in the NIV, it says it this way. I liked it a lot. It says, as an example of patience in the face of suffering. I don't know about you. I'm not very patient. Okay. Well, actually, I am now. But it's not because I'm patient. I get people really frustrated with me and they go, you're more patient than Jesus. And I go, no, I'm patient because of Jesus. And those who knew me years ago will laugh at that. And that's why you heard laughter in the room because I was one of the most impatient people on the planet. And God has mellowed me out and uh, caused me, taught me how to be patient. I've not particularly liked all the lessons. Uh, I don't know if you do. Uh, But if you track with James, um, this theme is all the way through the book. I want to do just a fast review. I'm not going to be able to explain all the verses if you're new this morning, but those of us who have been in the series, you can go back to our website. You can download different messages if this clicks something. But let's walk through the book of James again and just remind ourselves of what we've learned over the last couple months. It talks about trouble. Remember, it starts off with this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. No, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, or another translation says endurance. Consider it joy when you encounter various trials. Do we usually count it as joy? No. Okay. On to the next verse. All right. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking in anything. The, that God uses these things and designs these things so that character and we can become like him. James 1.12 Blessed is one who perseveres under trial. Again, that's that same word. Suffering or trouble or trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. James 1.19 My brothers, because of this stuff, brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. When we hit tough stuff, what's the first thing that flares in us? Our anger, right? Remember I said, how long does it take to light you up? It doesn't take long to light me up, right? And almost always I have to shut my trap, stop. Okay, Holy Spirit, stop. What am, don't say it, okay, right? Pray through it. And because if you let it out, the gushing out of anger, all it does is create more anger. It just makes the situation worse. It just blows it up. It just wrecks the people around you and it wrecks you. Right? Have we learned that yet? No, not yet. Okay, Amy, we'll learn together. (laughs) All right? So here it's talking about quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. What are we usually? We're quick to speak, right? We're, we're slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to become angry. So James is hammering on this. He's talking to believers, saying, yes, I know you're in trouble, and I know you're in pressure, and I know you're struggling, but here's the deal. You're believers. You're anointed 
by the Lord. You have been chosen by Him. You've been given a deposit by the Holy Spirit. You are believers. Act like it. That's what he's really saying. All right? Let's look a little further. James 1.22 Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Let the Word harness you. Let the Word saddle you. Let the Word strap you. James 1.26 Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. The idea that we tend to talk way beyond our experience is what James is talking about there. James 2.8 If you really keep the royal law, this is again in regards to suffering and trials, found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Is it easy to love your enemies? No. James 2.12-13 Speak and act as those going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. When do we get, put this in context, when do we get vindictive? When do we get vengeful? When do we get irate? When do we let people have, right? It's under trial. Because if it wasn't for them, our life would be great. And if I could just get them out of my life, I would be happy. And that's when we talked about curses and swearings and oaths and damning people. When we we say, I damn you, we're asking God to judge that person and send them to hell. And we don't know the whole picture. That's what James is all saying. James 3, 2. Let's keep looking at this. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say. Anybody in here? I mean, let's just check it out before we go. Anybody not stumble in what they say? All right, now we can keep going. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. By the way, that's why we love Jesus. What was he a master at? He was a master at not dropping to the level of his enemies or his antagonists, right? And we just marvel at some of his response and we just go, oh, if I could, I I always think of great responses like that three days later. How about you guys? Right? And just... The whole idea there. James goes on to say, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by such a small spark. We don't even need to illustrate that this morning with all the fires going on on the West Coast, right? From California to Canada. One spark and whoosh! Right? Did you see the fire on the Boeing freeway? On the video, they just somebody threw a cigarette, but wham, the whole hillside was on flames. Okay? It's pretty dry. James says the tongue is like that. James 3.14, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition, now he's getting to the heart of what's going on inside. A lot of our trouble we bring on ourselves. In your hearts, he says, Do not boast about or deny the truth. James goes on, 3.18, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. By the way, there is a real need in our world today for those who are what the Bible calls cool in spirit. They don't get rattled. They don't get irate. They're just, they're cool. They keep a lid on it and they think through the bigger picture and help bring peace to situations. Many of you, I would bet, find yourself in that situation at work often. James 4.1 What causes fights and quarrels among you? What brings some of the tribulation on? What brings some of the trouble? What brings some of the suffering? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Ouch. Remember that one? You can look that one up. I don't want to repeat it. All right. 
James 4.4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Here he's talking about trying to straddle the fence, one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom, and trying to be friends and make peace with both. Does it work very well? No, it doesn't. James 4, 7 and 8. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And part of the problem here, what he's saying from the verses above, is our problem is we try to resist the devil without submitting to God because we want to keep control. Control is our drug of choice. We have to submit first, then resist, and it'll work, not the other way around. Come near to God and he will come near to you. That's a great promise. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Quit dabbling on both sides of the fence and it will go well with you. James says, Humble yourselves, therefore, before the Lord, and He will lift you up. We said this is the universal principle. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You find that in James, you find that in Peter, you find that in Proverbs. Uh, it, it's a universal principle. Then it goes on to act humbly. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Don't rip each other. Don't cut each other. Don't slash each other. Don't backstab each other with your tongue. James 4, 15 and 16. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Talking against pride here. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. Because really, you, James says, you can't make one hair on your head white or black. James 5, 7. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that's coming upon you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. It just looked like a lot of people are getting away with it. And people go, what use is it to follow the Lord? Because everybody who's not following the Lord is winning. James says you've got to keep the bigger picture in mind. They win for a short time. And James 5, 9. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. And the judge is standing at the door, and we talked about that last week in spirit of grumbling. All right, so now I went through, isn't that an amazing little survey through just the book of James? So now let's come back to this issue here of trouble. All right? As we're talking about trouble as we started this morning, uh, as an example of suffering and patience, James used this in the verses I have had. It says, Brothers, take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord. They did not have an easy go of it. And yet they had to be obedient to what the Lord asked them to do. We consider those blessed who remain steadfast. The Expositor's Bible Commentary says this, and it puts it in such a great way, I just literally put it down verbatim. Here's what it says about these verses. It says, When such an experience, the experience of trial, or the experience of suffering comes your way, the Christian needs patience. He is not to grumble in bitter disgust. I love that phrasing. Have you ever grumbled in bitter disgust towards God? Letting God know what a lousy job He's doing running the universe? And that if you were in control, what a great job you'd do? And He really should come and ask your opinion because of the great wisdom you've accumulated in your lifetime. You could help Him out. Right? says, He is not to grumble in bitter disgust, nor is He to express Himself in oaths. Instead, He should pray. Notice that prayer somehow always winds up the last resort. It, it winds up the last option, the last thing I think of. Oh yeah, I should have prayed. I don't know how many times people have come in my office, they'll sit down, in great faith they're talking to me, they've gone through something, and they explain the whole thing, and I'll listen and I'll ask them, did you pray? 
forgot. Didn't occur to me. Well, well, wouldn't it have made a difference? Yeah, it probably would have. We are commanded to pray. Patience comes from God. Patience does not come from ourselves, in case you haven't learned that yet. All right? Patience comes from God, and prayer is an effective way to obtain it. That's a great little nugget right there. Commentary goes on to point out that songs of praise are a form of prayer also. Like this morning when we stand together and we sing worship and we sing praise to the Lord, we're we're praying, right? And Scripture says God inhabits the praise or the prayers of His people. One of the ways God's presence is ushered in among us is by fully entering into that experience of worship. And then we come to one of the most redemptive passages in the Bible Because James is talking about prayer and he goes on and and says this. Let's look at the whole passage now. It says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Think through that context we just went through. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. This is an incredibly great passage. In, in biblical times, the anointing of oil was, was not only sacramental. Uh, that's how we would understand it, right? It's sacramental. Uh, we don't really consider it medicinal. But in biblical times, it was seen as medicinal. And, and as such, it's used in this passage this way. So biblical times, they were light on medicine and, and heavy on prayer. Uh, today, we're heavy on medicine and light on prayer. Now, ask yourself, who's got it better? But have you noticed that even today our medicine doesn't fix everything? Have you noticed that uh, there's limits to what doctors know? You ever walked into doctor's office and said, I'm not really sure. What? What do you mean you're not really sure? You're supposed to know. Well, it could be this. Oh, no, I don't want to hear that. Well, we think it's that. No, I don't want to hear that either. Right? All right. We tend to over uh, lean on medicine. Not that there's anything wrong with medicine. Use it for all it's good for, right? Go to the doctor, guys. Here we go. But one of the things James is pointing out here is the power of prayer. And what he's talking about specifically is the attitude of the person themselves when it comes to something where they've found themselves in trouble. In this case, they're sick. That's the trial. And it says to come before the elders and ask them to be anointed in oil for prayer. And what James is pointing out is that the very act of submission has something to do with healing. That in our attitude internally, if we find ourselves submitting ourselves to the Lord, that goes a great deal along the way to helping with the healing process. And James is saying, if you keep all that stuff locked up inside of you, it's kind of like pus, it's kind of toxic. And people who are pussy and toxicy, that's not a word, okay, toxic, have a hard time healing because they just keep kicking up sour stuff that poisons their system. And so James says, all right, recognize the issue. If you get sick, call the elders. Come under their authority. Let them anoint you. Let them pray for you. You know, um, 
this passage not only talks about submission to God's authority physically, but also spiritually. Say, well, not everybody who prays is healed. No, but the person who prays and asks Christ in their life is healed when they walk into heaven's door, right? And so there's an eternal issue here as well. Something, and I can tell you this from experience, having been to hundreds of uh, hospitals and deathbeds, something that's really heavy on people's hearts when they get really sick is the issue of their sin. Trust me, I've been there multiple times. One of the first things that comes on the, on the table for conversation when somebody's really sick is, uh, and I walk in the room, Steve, I've got to just tell you these things. I've never gotten them off my chest. Will you pray for me? The weight of sin is heavy. It is a terrible burden to carry. And James is saying, don't carry it. Come under submission. It's the only way to be healed. It's also the only way to be forgiven. Right? I've found this to be very true. Uh, again, going back to hospitals, visiting those who are sick and dying. Let me give you a, a couple stories. So uh, the family I lived with when I moved out here uh, was the Moisson family, Doug and Joanne, and uh, fantastic. Uh, Doug has gone home to be with the Lord. Joanne's still around, and Pam and I are trying to take her out to lunch here in the next week or so uh, just because we love her. And uh, Doug got really sick, and it was actually, uh, he was battling MS, very similar to Karen Goldstein, and eventually you get in MS where everything just starts shutting down, right? And it had started to shut down on Doug. And uh, we had been up at the hospital and I came up and Joanne was there and their son. And they had been there for like 36 hours straight and their eyes were bloodshot red and they couldn't see straight. And I just said to him, hey, look, I'm here. Let me sit with Doug. If anything happens, I'll call you. Why don't you just go home? Go home, eat something. Why don't you take a shower? Why don't you go take a nap and then you can come back. I'll be here. I'll stay here till you come back, even if it's tomorrow. All right. And so they did. And uh, while I was sitting there and I was just thinking of how incredibly grateful I was of the kindness of, of Doug and Joanne towards me and thinking about, you know, how what a great family they were and how wonderful it was to live with them and be adopted by them and all that kind of good stuff. The nurse comes walking in. By the way, uh, Becky was up there, Tim with me at this time. But this was another gal that worked with Becky. And, uh, and so uh, she comes up and uh, she says, boy, he is really lucky to have a friend like you. And I said, oh no, you don't understand. I'm lucky to have a friend like him. And she said something I'll never forget. She says, you know, we know that. I said, what? She says, we know. I said, what do you mean you know? And she says, she kind of looked around and says, you know, I'm not supposed to say this. But she said, when people come in, we can tell. And we can tell the ones who know the Lord's and we can tell the ones who don't. And you can tell the ones who have a family and have people around them and they're praying for them. And you can tell the ones who aren't prayed for. And she says, it's really obvious that this guy knows the Lord and has had a tremendous impact on people's lives. And I just choked up. I went, yeah, it's true. It's really true. It was such a point, but people can tell, right? And, uh, and it, it, uh, just Karen, um, first thing Gary did, he called me up last night. I had hauled Matt and a bunch of the kids up to Willis Tucker Park, and I was sitting in the truck reading one of my books while they were playing volleyball, and, and Gary calls, and he says, Steve, here's what happened. 
And you could tell he was shook. You could tell he was exhausted. You could tell he was scared. You could tell, like, we were down here to visit friends and she might not make it. And so we're talking on the phone. And as we talked, as we, and then I prayed for him. And the difference that prayer made was incredible for Gary. He said, man, that just makes all the difference in the world. Thanks, Mitch. I said, all right, give me an update tomorrow. And then he called back this morning with a really an incredibly positive update that uh, really only the Lord could have pulled off, right? And so this, this is really true. But, it, but here's the point. We make a huge mistake if we say this is only for hospital beds. That's when you pray. It's not just for hospital beds that James is talking about, but putting this into practice before you ever get there. Right? Because under pressure, you go back to what you've learned. And as a church, he advocates we practice uh, something continually with each other before we ever get to that hospital place. And, and what is that? Well, look at verse 16. I kept it from you, but here it is. Therefore, from all the stuff we just covered and we just walked through, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be, what? Healed. We don't think about that. We don't read that verse that way. We say confess our sins to each other so you can feel guilty to each other and you can all hold that above each other's head and you all got something on each other and I'll be darned if I'm going to do that. How are you doing? Fine. Right? Our plastic Christianese, how are you doing? Fine. I banned that word in the church when I was at North Shore in the youth group because nobody's fine. Right? We all got problems. We all got a mess. And we all lie. I call that Christian lying. How are you doing? Fine. I had a guy come up to me one time who walked in the church. I knew that he had attempted his life the night before. I said, how are you doing? He said, fine. And I tore into him like white on rice. Okay? I won't tell you what I said because I can't say it in church. Right? But I was so hacked that he would look me in the face as a fellow brother and just, he's in the greatest crisis of his life and lie to me. And just walk away like nothing happened. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person has great power in its working. How much sickness is among us because of unresolved sin? What do you think? How much sickness is among us because of unresolved sin? Notice that the passage says, confess your sins to one another. Why? That we may be healed. Anybody need emotionally healing here in this room? Anybody gone through some battles, some wars, some scars, some sins? Any of you have the perfect childhood and you don't have any scars? Right? James says prayer is, is powerful here. And then he uses the illustration of Elijah for this prayer. Here's what he says. Look at what he says. He says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. That was the uh, whole issue of Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal and that whole deal. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now, I'm sitting here reading this. I'm the pastor. I'm saying, okay, wait a minute, time out. Time out. Stop. 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 Elijah, really? Are you kidding me? You're going to compare me to Elijah? No. I mean, 
We can be like Elijah in prayer, and I'm, I'm struggling with that. Elijah, like the guy. This is Elijah. Here's Elijah, right? Who was one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. I mean, just go through and read the story. Blow you away what that guy did. Who overcame 401 odds against the prophets of Baal. I like that part. The warrior in me goes, yeah, right? Uh, who outran chariots. Who called on, He's called one of the two lampstands in Scripture, the other one being Moses. Oh, great, now we got Moses in the mix too, right? Who was the only one of two people who were taken up to heaven directly, the other one being Enoch. Elijah didn't die. He was taken up. Who was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus? Again, remember, Peter, James, and John, Jesus, then Moses and Elijah showed up. And who is one of the two witnesses at the end time scenario in Revelation? Well, of course Elijah could pray. Look at who he was. Don't equate me to Elijah. I can't pray like that. I can't pull miracles off. I can't. Why did he? How could he? He was Elijah. Well, of course. Of course those things happened. He was a chosen instrument of God, a prophet. Not just a prophet, but one of the greatest prophets this earth has ever seen. Of course God heard his prayers. He was chosen by God for a special role. How in the world could James drop the equation that our prayers could be effective? That's the key word there, right? Effective. Our words could be effective like Elijah's. Here's where I think it works. Here's the connection. It wasn't so much that Elijah was so different from us. But it had to do with the fact that Elijah cooperated in prayer with God. See, there's the point. Elijah was called to some specific stuff, right? And he cooperated with God in prayer. And by the way, if you know the story of Elijah, was he perfect in all that? No. He had some misfires. But he cooperated with what God asked him to do. And James is saying, just like Elijah cooperated in prayer, so we should cooperate in prayer. Because the story's not written yet. We don't know all of that what God will do. Too many of us just get to the place of saying, you know what? Prayer's great, but it works for other people. And, and I hope they pray. Because I've prayed and stuff hasn't happened, so I'm done. I'm, I'm not praying anymore. I'm not going to lean into it. I'm... I hope other people pray and I hope God works, but uh, it's just, and we wouldn't say this because we get struck with lightning, it's a waste of time. You want to have a large, great, awesome, well-attended, enthusiastic meeting in the church, just call a prayer meeting. How many show up? Not many. Right? It hits right at the core of where our faith is intersects with God and the voice between the Holy Spirit and the voice between the devil and all that stuff that goes on between here. James is saying, you need to keep praying. Why was he saying this to his people? Because they had quit praying. They had gone, right? They had gone through persecution. They had gone through exile. They were scattered all over the place. Things were not going well. And they had quit praying. And James says, you're making a huge mistake. You need to get back on the horse and get back to praying because that is what's going to make the difference. And by the way, singles, singles in here, you know, so much in the church is slanted towards marrieds, right? And you're like, oh, I'm sitting through another married thing. Ah, right, kind of deal. Singles, this is for you. 
Elijah was single. Okay? He wasn't a married guy. He was single all his life. And God uses His example for you in prayer. So singles take heart. God understands. And guess what, singles? He expects you to pray. Now, married people, that doesn't get you off the hook, right? Elijah was single. God used them. God heard his prayers. Married couples, I say to you again, you've got to be praying together. By the way, that passage, confess your sins to one another and your sins will be forgiven and you'll be healed. Is that not more true in marriage than anywhere else on this planet? Who sins against each other more than anybody else? Isn't it husband and wife? In attitude, in thought, in word, in deed, in action, you're a booger nose. And I'm not praying with you because I'm mad at you. Is there not a place for submission and surrender and to come back together in prayer? And is there not incredible healing in that? And why aren't we healed? Because we don't pray together. Married couples, you need to be praying together. You are the backbone of our church. And if you aren't praying, our church will go nowhere. And if you aren't praying, you're in disobedience. You need to be praying together. I will never get off that hobby horse till we start praying together. You want me to quit talking about it? Start praying together. I'll quit talking about it. Right? It's summertime, Steve. We don't pray during summer. It's fun. What? It is amazing if we pray together how each of our sins are able to be forgiven. And don't we need that? If we want healing, we must pray and confess our sins together. Certainly that means you need to have a posse. You have to have a group of guys, a group of gals, single, married, it doesn't matter, but you got to have a group of posse. you got to just walk in and say, man, I blew it this week. I blew it bad. And, and i got to confess this to you guys and, and, and I need you to pray for me and hold me accountable. i got to go back and make things right. Same thing for gals. Same things for single. you got to have a posse. This is not just you in your private little world with Jesus. It doesn't work that way. We were intended for community. We were intended for each other. We're going to push community groups again hard this fall. They need to be, you've got to have a posse. You have people that walk the trail. It's just too blasted hard to walk by yourself. And James is saying, by the way, while you're walking, you should pray. You should pray. Everybody got the point this morning? What should we do? We should pray. Well, let's do so then, all right? Father, we come to you this morning in prayer. We know we're not perfect at this. Lord, the illustration of being compared to Elijah... Many of us quit before we even get to the end of that sentence. There's no way we can be like Elijah. But Lord, James is using that illustration to say an average human guy like Elijah was, he wasn't divine or anything else, but he cooperated with you and you used him in extraordinary ways. And what James is saying is you will use us the same way if we cooperate with you in prayer as well. The truth is, Lord, in our heads right now, we are functioning um, as theological Christians. It, we go, yes, 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 and yes. But practically, we're atheists because we don't put it into practice and we don't do it together and we think our marriages hold together because we're such great guys or such great gals. And the need to pray, to express to you and to be healed and to confess our sin, Lord, uh, 
This is not about the world outside. This is us. We need you to heal us and cleanse us and that's not going to happen unless we submit ourselves in prayer to each other. This is a brilliant word. It's an accurate word. It's a timely word. May we embrace it with all our hearts. And we pray this in your name. Amen.